we're going to pursue the fruit of the Spirit this morning. We're going to turn our attention not just to the list of the fruit of the Spirit, but to its context, to what Paul is saying and exploring when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And so that is in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be reading from verses 13 to verse 26. And before we turn and read, let us pray for the Spirit's presence with us. People of God, pray with me. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, we come to your word. And we ask that you move in our lives as you moved in Paul's life, that you help us to hear the words spoken not just then, but now for us. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, starting at 13 and reading through 26. You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another, humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And so I say, walk by the Spirit. And then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the acts, the works of the flesh, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against, against such things, there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
the church? The church has always been messed up. There, there was a trend in church planting and in numerous ministry books published a few decades back that emphasized returning to a model of the early church like that depicted in Acts 2, second chapter of Acts. And it's those few well-known verses that describe the early church community as one that shared everything amongst believers. That they were devoted not only to scripture but to each other. Where everything was, yeah, they gathered together, they worshipped every day together, they came together around dinner together, they praised God continually and were told there in Acts 2, that this young church, this community of believers, enjoyed the favor of all the people. And that sounds lovely. I mean, so church plant after church plant said, we got to get back to that picture of church. So church plant after church plant, congregation after congregation, book sold after book sold said, Follow what I'm doing, and we're going to be the ones to get back to that pristine, ideal community of believers. We're going we're to erase the conflict and division that has plagued the church for 2,000 years, and we are finally going to get it right. We're going to go back to that early church model, and we're going to fix it. Do you think that worked? No, <laughs> it did not work. It became a trend, right? You're not reading books about trying to return to an ideal, pristine church community any longer because, well, they messed up. It didn't burr the whole new renewal in terms of the church community with con- like congregations that were conflict-free and in perfect harmony. It didn't happen. It was a blip. It was a trend. We've moved on to a different model. And it's not surprising. Because if we're honest, if we think about our own experience of church, the history of church, except for those few verses in Acts 2, kind of seems to be a true statement to say the church has always been a little messed up. I mean, there's Acts 2. They're all hunky-dory, perfect harmony, doing dinner together, worship together sharing everything in common. And then, just a few chapters later in uh, Acts 15, you have the first contentious council meeting where Peter and Paul are going at each other, disagreeing and arguing about who is in and who is out in this new church. Who makes the cut and how do they make the cut? And then there's also the simple fact that we have the majority of our New Testaments because of conflict in the church. Almost every letter that Paul writes is to a congregation experiencing division and difficulty and disagreement and problems. And they're trying to sort it out, and he comes in as a pastor trying to help them sort it out, to steer them back to the gospel. There is not a model of pristine, ideal, community of believers to return to, to go back to. Because the church has always been a little messed up. 
Almost every single letter of Paul that we have in the New Testament is in the tone of an exasperated pastor to a conflict-riddled congregation. In his letter to the Galatians, this particular one is no exception. In fact, it's actually the harshest letter he writes. If you've read a lot of Paul's letters and thinking about their form, he, he begins every letter with a grace and peace, glory to God, and then a long thanking section for the people that he's writing to. It's a Thanksgiving prayer that's pretty common in Paul. So he starts off saying, this is what I am thankful to God about you, whoever he's writing to. Their gifts or the way they've sustained themselves through challenges, whatever he's thankful for. Galatians don't get that. He skips right over that. He has nothing to be thankful about for this particular congregation he's writing to. He starts out with grace and peace, really short, it's kind of like a curt hello, and then he launches into why he's disappointed with them. About where they're just getting it wrong and where they're, they're straying from the gospel. There's a crop of new teachers and preachers and they're making inroads into the Galatian community with their teachings and their sermons. They're talking about returning to the demands of the law. They accuse Paul of, of teaching too loose a gospel. The way that Paul's preaching Christ and Christ crucified, it doesn't really give people enough guardrails to figure out how to live to the glory of God. There's not enough kind of ethical boundaries around that way of preaching. And so they come into the young church and say, well, we've got this. There's the law. The law has guardrails. That's what it's about. Follow that and you'll be okay. And so this new teaching that's kind of taking root in the Galatian community is offering really clear boundaries. No need for discernment. We've got this. Clear boundaries, lines of who is in and who is out, and, you know, a few outwardly bodily signs like circumcision. The Galatian community is torn apart by those following the teachings of Paul trying to hold to a gospel of grace rooted in Jesus, and then those who are following these new teachers and their clear call to return to rules and regulations of the law. And we get a glimpse of how nasty this conflict has become in this particular congregation. When Paul, he's making a case for serving each other humbly in love, and then and then in, he describes the current state of the Galatian church. And he describes them like they're a pack of wild dogs attacking each other. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by one another. And, and you get a sense of how frustrated Paul is by their infighting, their arguing, their departure from the gospel with those getting circumcised to obey the law, even though he has told them, don't do that, that is betrayal of the gospel. Just before we started reading in verse 12, if you have your Bibles open, look at, look at verse 12. And Paul says, as for those agitators, which is what he calls the new teachers trying to bring people back to the law, as for those agitators, well, I wish they would just go the whole way and castrate themselves. 
doesn't sound like a shining pastoral example of the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, Paul's words do not sound kind. (laughs) They do not sound gentle. And is that a moment of a lack of self-control for a pastor? The Galatian church is messed up. They're conflict-riddled, divided and divisive, and they're destroying their community by biting and devouring each other, arguing about who is in and who is out, and even Paul is on the verge of just losing it. The church has always been a little messed up. We are a church in the Reformed tradition. That means we are children of the Protestant Reformation. And we are prone, (laughs) by theology and culture, to split. To divide. To schism. It is in our ecclesiastical nature. But I don't think we have to go back to the 16th century to look for evidence of our divisive nature or evidence of our ongoing divisions. This year marks the 25th anniversary of the ordination of women to the minister of the word. It's an anniversary that marks for some a great joy. And I can't hide my view on this. And for others, it marks an occasion for great sorrow. And for most of us, we hold both those emotions. Because however you feel about the outcome, and I've got skin in the game, the conflict over women's ordination has ripped families and congregations apart. It severed us. I know some folks who still don't talk to former friends because their theological differences are just too great. I know people my own age who've lost their faith because they watched the way their parents and church leaders and pastors bit and devoured each other. And they said the church is just too messed up. (laughs) And they walked away from that bloodbath. The battle to be right got ugly and personal and destroyed so much. And there is a growing sense of anxiety and dread again as a denomination, as a congregation, as we brace for what feels like an upcoming fight over the human sexuality report next year in June. Battle lines are being drawn. You can kind of choose which Facebook page you want to be a part of to get in your particular echo chamber. Overtures are being written. I think last count I heard was 35, but that was a couple months ago, and I'm sure it's much, much higher. And many fear that we are headed for a fight that won't just leave us bloodied and bruised like the fight over the ordination of women, 
but that it will spell the end of our denomination. That it will fracture us into even smaller and smaller fragments. One of the youngest members to join a dive into doctrine group this past spring here at Community CRC. We read through the human sexuality report and started the conversation and wrestling with it. And this particular young teenager signed up because she wanted to see how the church talks about difficult things. She wanted to see how we talk and engage with each other when we disagree. She wanted to witness how we argue, how we do the hard stuff. We have a generation watching us and how we fight and how we disagree. And we know, we know that our fighting has consequences. Will we bite and devour each other and so destroy each other and so much more along with us? How we fight has consequences. Here in Galatians 5, before Paul offers up the list of the fruit of the Spirit, he shares a very different list. It might be less well-known to you than the fruit of the Spirit. And it's meant to be heard alongside of the list of the fruit of the Spirit. They're not meant to be separated out. There's fruit of the Spirit, and the list that comes before it is the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh is a litany of stuff, stuff that Paul says ain't going to get you into the kingdom of God. And usually we hear works of the flesh, and we instantly think of sexual immorality, right? The flesh stuff, that's the sex stuff. It's not the whole picture. It's not even most of the picture, actually. While Paul mentions sexual immorality and impurity in his list, along with orgies and debauchery, witchcraft and idolatry, the majority of his list here, and he has various lists throughout his letters, each tailored to the congregation he's speaking to, the majority of his list here is dedicated to all the common and ordinary ways we are inclined to destroy each other in community. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, jealousy, and envy. And the fact that these community-destroying works of the flesh are so commonplace and so ordinary, I think just kind of grows to, grows to prove the Heidelberg Catechism's point when it says that we have a natural tendency to hate our neighbor, especially the ones closest to us. 
It comes naturally. It comes easily. And we get real good at justifying that hatred. We, it's a bit of an art, actually, when it comes to being human. <laughs> and we are really good at justifying that hatred, especially when it comes to thinking we are right on a theological point. And the one we're arguing with is dead wrong. Obviously, I'm justified. I'm justified in hating that person. They are wrong. <laughs> They're wrong about scripture. The church has always been messed up. Whether it is a first century Galatian community or a 21st century Canadian one. Because it's made up of us. <laughs> because we're in it. And we bring with us all of our human inclination to hate our neighbor. We bring with us our quickness to snarl and bite and devour each other. We bring with us our hatred and our discord and our anger and our dissension and our factions and our envy. Us. <laughs> We do that. That's us. The church has always been messed up. Which means that when Paul makes his list of the fruit of the Spirit, he is not talking to some pristine, ideal community for whom these things come easily. He's not speaking this list to people who just come together and worship really well and have dinner together and share everything in common and never disagree. Not in the least. Farthest from. Paul gives the list of the fruit of the Spirit to a church that needs it. <laughs> who needs a different vision for what's possible in a community of believers beyond our natural inclinations to snarl, bite, and devour each other. Beyond our natural inclination to community-destroying works of the flesh, which were Calvinists. <laughs> we believe in human depravity in our inability to do this well. We tell the truth about that piece of theology really well. And Paul actually isn't telling the Galatians to grow better fruit. He's not telling them explicitly to go be more patient, to go be more joyful, just to go be more faithful. He's not telling them that directly. The direct command that Paul gives to a contentious congregation is to serve one another humbly in love. And, and to push his point, Paul points them to Jesus, to his model of sacrifice and love and service, and Paul reminds them that serving one another humbly in love means crucifying the works of the flesh, killing the hatred that fills your heart, 
uprooting the anger that definitely wants to rise to the top and just lash right out, and weeding out the discourse and envy, discord and envy that comes so naturally. And it's that work, that service, that way of humility that actually clears the ground for other things to grow. For the fruit of the Spirit to flourish in and to build up a community of believers. We're not the ones bearing, we're not the ones growing the fruit. <laughs> we're the ones being blessed by the fruit of the Spirit we can't muster up ourselves. Killing the hatred, uprooting the anger, weeding out the discord, crucifying the works of the flesh that come so easily to us. That clears the ground for other things to grow. For love to grow, for joy to take root, for peace to spread, for patience and kindness to ripen, and for faithfulness and gentleness and self-control to blossom. What does that look like? How have you seen it at work in this congregation and in your own life? One of the ways that I have seen the service of, of humility and love in this congregation is through the faithfulness of those who have stayed a part of this church family, even as they disagree around women's ordination. As this congregation called women to the offices of elder and deacon, and then called women into the pulpit and into the pastor's study, there are those in our community of believers for whom this is hard and difficult and they deeply disagree. But instead of leaving, they persist. They stay. And they pray for the leadership of this church, women and men. And pray for their pastor, regardless of gender. And that is a quiet faithfulness and commitment to a community of believers that's not gonna get a whole lot of press as we mark the 25th anniversary of women's ordination. But I will celebrate those acts of faithfulness. I will be humbled by those acts of service done in humility and love for the people of God. Because that is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. That is what it can look like. And we can't just name the fruit of the Spirit when, it, when it's with those who we agree with. <laughs> we have got to have our eyes open in every place where it's taking root and growing. It is true that the church has always been messed up. 
It's undeniable, we are a part of it. We bring our broken humanity into this place and into this family and into the church. But it is also deeply true that the Spirit has always and will always be at work bearing the good fruit of God in our life together, in our brokenness, in our disagreement, bearing fruit that looks like love and joy, peace and patience, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. In us, in those we disagree with, spirit is always and will always be at work. Thanks be to God. So as we wrestle with how to disagree with one another, as we remember our bloody fights, feel the bruises that still remain, as we wonder together as a congregation, as a classes, as a denomination, how in the world we keep in step with the Spirit over the course of this next year. May the Spirit open our eyes to see the community building fruit in our midst, even with those we disagree with. May the Spirit convict us, and this ain't going to be comfortable, people of God, but may the Spirit convict us of where we have some work to do in our own lives, and our own hearts, uprooting our own community-destroying inclinations, those works of the flesh that come so easy. And may the Spirit give us strength to be honest with ourselves and also humble in our service with others. And may that beautiful Holy Spirit draw our attention again and again to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who holds us together as brothers and sisters. <laughs> he is the tie that binds us together and who loves this beautiful and this messed up, and this broken community of believers so much that he gave his life for it. How can we do no less? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And the fruit of that Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thanks be to God.